Thanks for joining us for Open Bible Online today. Open Bible Baptist Church has been in South Jersey for over 60 years. We love this community and we want to be a help to you. In order to help us help you in the best way possible, would you do us a favor? Please fill out the digital connection card posted in this link. Here you could post prayer requests and also ask any questions you may have about Open Bible. If you'd like to give today, you could give online in less than two minutes. Visit openbiblenj.org for more information. Thanks again for joining us today. Now enjoy the service. If you would, and open up to the book of Galatians and stand with me as we are starting a new study. And we're back to our expositional style of, of uh, preaching this morning, going through uh, a book of the Bible verse by verse. And uh, we went through our stewardship month and uh, thankful for that. And I would encourage you that if you've made your commitment to start uh, with your increase in your giving, if you've never tithed before, we're encouraging you to be obedient unto the Lord and to start to tithe. And uh, people have asked me to say, uh, should I tithe on my gross or my net? Uh, and I, my response is, what do you want the blessing on, your gross or your net? And so you can make the determination of that. I would encourage you to tithe on your gross. That's what I tithe on. And God has continually uh, blessed me and my family for many, many years. And uh, uh, I would encourage you to do the same thing. And those who have committed to uh, increasing their giving uh, this year, I would encourage you to start doing so. Me and my wife have started doing uh, so as well. I'd ask that you pray for my wife. She's not here this morning. Um, having some back problems. And uh, I think that... Uh, uh, it would help if I stopped pushing her down the stairs, but uh, we're not quite sure if that's the reason why. That was a joke, folks. You can lighten up a little bit, okay? Uh, but uh, you be praying for her. She is having some back problems, and uh, thankful that uh, it's not more serious than what it is. Galatians chapter 1, if you would. As a matter of fact, let's flip over to chapter 5. We'll start there this morning with our key text, and then we'll get into the Word of God, studying the book of Galatians. I've entitled this series, No Other Gospel. No other gospel. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. And be not entangled again with the yoke of of bondage. Let's pray. My Father in heaven, I thank you for this wonderful day. Thank you for the beautiful snow that reminds us how you wash us whiter than snow. That our sins are forgiven when we put our faith and trust in you. And Lord, I pray that you would help us as we take this series and study uh, the book of Galatians and see how there is no other gospel and that we can have freedom in you and that we would apply it to our lives. Let us not be bound by, uh, by uh, the traditions of men. Let us not be bound by sin. Let us not be bound by uh, the things that would keep us from enjoying our relationship and fellowship with you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have stated that you are the only way. And that you are the only truth to be able to take us to the Father. We love you, Lord Jesus. In your precious name we ask, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. 
Today, as I mentioned to you, we start our study in the book of Galatians. And Galatians has been known as the book that started the Reformation. Uh, many of you might know this name, Martin Luther. And Martin Luther was a man who uh, really uh, started the, the Reformation. And Martin Luther said about the book of Galatians that he was married to it. He said it was like, my, he said it was like his wife, Kathleen, and, and uh, you say, well, who was this guy, Martin Luther? He was an Augustine monk. He was a monk, and he was, he was a monk that was consumed with getting to God. He was trying to do everything that he could to be able to get to God. The problem was that he was trying to get to God on his own. You know, that's what man has always been doing, trying to get to God on their own. Matter of fact, Christians even do that many times. Even after they're saved, they still try and get to God on their own, either by merit or by favor or by, you know, trying to make sure that God is just not too angry at me. See, Luther was so afraid of God and of Christ that he did anything that he could to earn merit and to become worthy of God. It's said about Martin Luther that he gave himself over to every type of conceivable and inconceivable severe discipline. He sa it says that he fasted so much, he fasted so much trying to get to God that his friends were afraid that he was going to starve himself to death. He walked 800 miles to Rome and back just to scale some steps which were supposed to be the steps that the Lord went up into Pilate's judgment hall that were transported to Rome. These are the steps that it's supposed it was at uh, Pilate's place where the Lord Jesus went up into Pilate's uh, area there, up into his room, the judgment hall. And they were transported supposedly to Rome, and that's the steps that many people over the years have climbed and they thought that they would be able to gain merit by doing this. And so what they would do is they would crawl up those steps and kneel at every step there, bow down, and kiss the step until they got all the way to the top. He was trying to do everything he could to get to God. He was so, over, he was so overcome with confession because he was a monk, but he had his own priest that he would go to the Catholic Church. And he was so overcome by confessing his sins to his priest that the priest, his priest, was worn out by the hours of confession. And this is what he, his priest told him. He told Luther, he said, do not come back to confession anymore unless you've committed adultery or fornication. Martin Luther said, and I quote, I tortured myself with prayer, with praying, fasting, keeping vigils, and freezing. The cold was enough to kill me. I inflicted such pain as I would never inflict again. That's sad. He was trying to do everything that he could to get to God, and he still had no peace, he had no freedom. He had no forgiveness. He had no salvation. But what he did have 
was another gospel. He had a different gospel, which really was not a gospel at all. See, that gospel was the news that, the, that he was believing was that he had to do something in order to be right with God. But he didn't know how to be right with God. In Job chapter 9 and verse 2, it says there, I know it is so of a truth, but how should a man be just with God? How can a man be right with God? That's the question that every religion is asking today. How can a person be made right with God? Just like Luther, man has tried to be right with God by doing their own things. And Paul talks about this in Romans. Turn over to Romans chapter 10, if you would please. Romans chapter 10. I want us to take a look at verses 3 and 4. Man has always tried to get right by doing their own thing. In Romans chapter 10, verse 3, the Bible says, For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. See, the reason that man does not, uh, uh, trying to get his own righteousness, the reason that man is trying to get to uh, God on his own is because of what this verse says, that they are not willing to submit to God's righteousness. They're not willing to bow the knee to God's righteousness. They're not willing to say, look, my righteousness is nothing compared to your righteousness, God. I have no good works. There's nothing that I can do to be in a right standing with you. See, the only way that a person can be made right with God is through Christ. See, friends, there is no personal merit that can make you or I right with God. Nothing. The only way to be right with God is the true gospel. Martin Luther had another gospel. There's many out there today that serve another gospel. But for us, if we're going to be in fellowship and have a relationship with Jesus Christ, we must follow the true gospel. There is, listen, there is no other gospel. This is extremely important in our day and age because our gospel is getting watered down. It is getting watered down. Listen, friends, Buddha, Muhammad does not save. Hare Krishna does not save. Jehovah Witnesses do not save. Mormons are not saved. You say, well, I know some good people that are Buddhist. I know some good people that are Hindu. I know some good people that... That is another gospel. I just saw that Steve Harvey came out and said, I saw it uh, the other day, he said that, that uh, there is, uh, Jesus is not the only way to heaven. That's another gospel. He said that basically the Christianity that he wants is, he wants a Christianity without all that Christian stuff. There is no other gospel. Take a look, if you would, in Galatians chapter 1, if you would, and verse 6. I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ 
unto another gospel, which is not another. But there be some that trouble you and will pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which was preached unto you, let him be accursed. And as we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach another gospel unto you than that, than that ye have received, let him be accursed. Friends, I, I hope that you understand how important this is today. See, in the position that I'm in as your pastor, I get to see, I live in the, the, the spiritual realm, that landscape. I get to see that landscape all the time. I get to see what's coming down the pike. I get to hear what's being taught in the seminaries. I get to see what people are doing in other churches and what they're calling church and what they're calling a relationship with Jesus Christ. And let me tell you something, friends. There is another gospel that is being permeated in our culture today, which is not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not. We are finding in our world today that there's many that are talking about another gospel. It's like this. You might have heard this. It's called progressive Christianity. That is not the gospel. According to a website that I was on, they state this. Progressive Christianity is a heretical group which deny many basic tenets of Christian orthodoxy. The name progressive Christianity is what they call themselves, and so we would only use the phrase to identify the group uh, to identify which group to avoid. No legitimacy implied when using the term Christian. They go on to say, rather than seeing it as a necessary fruit of the gospel, progressive Christianity, now listen, progressive Christianity or progressive Christians believe that social justice is at the heart of the gospel. In many ways, it's not unlike liberation theology. Rather than having a set of confessional beliefs about God or the person of Jesus and what he has accomplished for us, progressive Christianity is inherently transformation-centric, focusing, on, uh, focusing how one's spiritual practice transforms our life and the life of all aspects of community. They claim to be opposed to all dogmas or doctrines, but ironically seem comfortable having many dogmas or doctrines of their own. Progressive Christian, the Progressive Christian Alliance puts it this way. Faith is not, concern, is not concrete answers, religious absolutes, creeds, or dogmas. As such, they look to Jesus more as an example to follow rather than the Savior from God's wrath and our own intraceable moral depravity. This has led to a rejection of the doctrine of substitutionary atonement. Thus, the progressive idea is premised on the false notion that human beings have a change of nature and thus is able to achieve redemption through human efforts during his time on earth. Observation. So-called progressive Christianity is largely moralistic, downplaying regeneration and the work of Christ in salvation from sin. In many ways, it's just a political lobby. Politics and the values of contemporary culture drives most of their theology. 
to many progressive Christians, politics is all important. And so they think human beings can be redeemed through the implementation of social justice. Folks, that's another gospel. Let's try that again because I would have expected to hear amens. That's another gospel. You might say, well, I didn't necessarily understood all that you said in there, but that's fine. I will will look to avoid progressive Christianity. And to some, it might be obvious that this group is promoting another gospel. But what about some famous theologians? You say, well, why would you bring this stuff up to me? This is going to help me tomorrow morning. Wait a second. It most certainly will. Because what's being taught in the classroom today will be in the church 10 years from now. What is popular from the lectern in the classroom, in seminaries, in Christian colleges, will be in the church in just a few years. There's a New Testament theologian, a very famous one. As a matter of fact, he is, his name is N.T. Wright. N.T. Wright is N.T. Wrong. He writes, in the day the revolution began, in his book, he says, we have paganized our understanding of salvation. Substituting the idea of God killing Jesus to satisfy his wrath for genuine, genuinely biblical notion that we are about to explore. You say, well, what is he saying there? He's saying that Jesus becoming the substitute for us is paganism. Excuse me? Jesus becoming the substitute for us is not paganism. Jesus becoming the substitute for us is truth. And this guy is having influences upon thousands and thousands and thousands of would-be preachers. He goes on to say, listen, Christ died in the place of sinners is closer to the pagan idea of of an angry deity being pacified by human death than it is to anything in either Israel's scriptures or the New Testament. You know what he's saying? He's saying he rejects substitutionary atonement. He rejects that Jesus Christ is the sacrifice that God chose to die for our sins. He makes his position even more clear when he states, no one will be justified, listen to this, no one will be justified until they reach heaven. I must stress again that the the doctrine of justification by faith is not what Paul meant or means by the gospel. And I quote, the gospel is not an account of how people get saved. Uh, Mr. Wright, who is Mr. Wrong, you might want to read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. And I quote the Bible. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preach unto you, which ye also have received, 
and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved. If ye keep in memory what I have preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. Friends, what N.T. Wright is promoting is another gospel. I understand the past few minutes might be a little bit heady, and I'm not trying to drown you in that. But I use it as an example to let you know that if you think that maybe pastor's just sounding alarm just to sound an alarm because he has nothing else to preach about, you're wrong. There is a movement in our country today to strip the gospel of what Scripture calls the gospel. They want a gospel without blood. They want a gospel without a cross. They want a gospel that Jesus is just a social reformer and that if we just follow his teachings, the world would be a better place. See, my friend, the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it is, it is the justification of men through the person and work of Christ by faith. The point is, it does not matter what's being promoted by a popular trend in, wild, in wider circles of the Christian world, or if a world-renowned, and he is a world-renowned New Testament theologian, if they teach anything other than what the Bible teaches, it's another gospel. And Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 1, those that preach another gospel are to be accursed. Take a look, if you would, please. Verse 6, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another. But there would be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we, he includes himself here, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. You know what Paul is saying? He is using some very strong language when he says accursed. You know what he's saying? He's saying, any man, any person, if an angel comes from heaven and preaches another gospel other than Jesus Christ and him crucified, buried, and rose again, let him be damned to hell. That's exactly what he's saying. You say, why is he using such strong language? Because it's the purity of the gospel that saves people. If the gospel is not pure, there is no salvation in the gospel. There's no salvation from hell if the gospel's not pure. There's no freedom if the gospel's not pure. There is no remission of sins if the gospel is not pure. And so Paul comes, guns a-blazing. If you notice, when Paul opens up this book, he doesn't open up with, uh, usually he opens up with some type of thanksgiving. Paul says, no, no, I've got my guns out, and here, I want to let you know something. There is no other gospel. 
And this is the gospel that you must hold on to. Why is he coming at the Galatians like this? Because there were some false brethren, I believe, that came from the church of Jerusalem that were actually unsaved brethren. I believe that they were heretics. They did not know the Lord. They were coming to the church of Galatians saying, look, Jesus is fine, but you've got to follow the Mosaic law. That's a problem. Like there are those today. You say, well, I don't hear anybody saying that today. No, they'll say Jesus is fine, but you must be baptized. No. There is no other gospel. See, true freedom is found in the gospel. And there are two aspects of this freedom in Galatians. And I want to give them to you very quickly. True freedom is found in the gospel. You say, Pastor, why do you come guns a-blazing this morning? Because that's the way the text is written. i got to preach it the way that it's written, right? You don't preach a portion of Scripture. You don't preach to Beatitudes like this. But you also wouldn't preach this section like the Beatitudes. And friends, I'm telling you, we had better make sure that we are holding on to the true gospel. Take a look first. Number one, true freedom is found in the gospel. You have freedom in salvation. You have freedom in salvation. Take a look at Galatians chapter 1 and verse 4. Who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. See, there is no freedom without deliverance. You know, you might ask yourself, well, what is freedom? We think that we know what freedom is, and we talk about freedom, but I, I don't really think that our world knows what freedom is all about. You hear people talk about, well, I want true freedom. Galatians is the book that's going to teach us about true freedom. It's going to teach us what true freedom looks like. See, we think true freedom is all about having every single shackle taking off us. We can do what we want, say what we want, act like we whatever we want. That's not true freedom. That's actually bondage. Take a look at John chapter 8, if you would, please. Because freedom is also talked about in the book of John. Turn in John chapter 8, if you would. And take a look at verse 32. Galatians is going to teach us what true freedom is all about. In John chapter 8 and verse 32, the Bible says, And ye shall know the truth. Read the rest of it with me, church. What's it say on the screen there? And the truth. Hmm. Take a look at John chapter 8 and verse 36. If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. See, the truth shall make you free. And the Son shall make you free. My question for you is, then which is it? It said the truth shall make you free and the Son shall make you free. Then which is it? Take a look at John chapter 14 and verse 6. Jesus saith unto him, you want to read it with me on the screen? Let's say it. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So now Jesus, the Son of God, is saying he's the truth. So which is it? Is it the truth that sets you free or is it the Son that sets you free? Yes. It's both. Why? Because the Son is truth. 
It's the Son who is truth who will make us free. And so we can say that the, it's the Son that sets us free, and it's because He is truth that He can set us free. This is true freedom. See, salvation is freedom. Why? Because all people are slaves to sin. All people are slaves to sin. And when a person comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, they're freed from that sin. See, Galatians is about how a man who has no freedom can have freedom. This book is many times misunderstood and it's taken out of context to be able to allow Christians to try and live any way they want. Oh no, my friend. Our purpose in life is to know Him and glorify Him. And so it's not about us living any way that we want, but it's about living the way it would please Him. See, the first aspect of freedom is found in salvation. This is number two. You have freedom in sanctification. You have freedom in sanctification. See, Galatians is about how a man who has no freedom can have freedom through salvation, but also Galatians is about how a man can have freedom in sanctification. Now, most of you in here this morning and, and, and many of you online this morning, you're already free in your salvation. You know Christ as your personal Savior. But Galatians is also about how you can have freedom in sanctification. You say, what's that? What's sanctification? It's about how you're growing in Christ. See, sanctification, having freedom in your sanctification is how you're to enjoy your freedom. Salvation gives you your freedom. Sanctification is how you to enjoy that freedom in Christ. Take a look, if you will, in John chapter 10, verse 10, because Jesus talks about this freedom. In John 10, 10, if you would please. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I come that they can have life, salvation, and that they can have it more abundantly, sanctification, enjoying your freedom that you received. You know what I found? That sometimes Christians are the most miserable people I've ever met. They are. We ought to be the, the, the happiest people. We ought to be the most joyful people. Sometimes Christians, they're the most cantankerous people. They're ugly. They're mean. They're... I even wonder sometimes if they're a Christian. I'm, I'm being honest with you. I think, man, I wonder if that person uh, is even a Christian. I can understand every once in a while you have a bad day. I never have those, and I'm always Christ-like. I understand that you can have a bad day here or there. But when you constantly live your life like that, that's a problem. There have been times in, in, in the life as a pastor that I've seen new people come to the church or somebody, or, or somebody gets saved in the church and, I'm think, and I see a person who is supposed to be a Christian but they're really cantankerous and I'm thinking, oh no, and they're headed towards that person and I think, oh no, God, please come back right now. I'll have the rapture happen. I don't want that new Christian or those new people that just came to our church to get infected. Why? Because they're not enjoying their freedom in Christ. They're worried about somebody did this or somebody didn't do that or why is somebody like this or was somebody like that and, and they're all up in arms and, and they're running here, there and talking about everything else except for 
how good the Lord is. Yeah, after service, they talk about everything except for maybe one thing that they got out of the message, you know. Well, Pastor, I just want to let you know, do you know that you misspoke when you said, yeah, well, I appreciate that. Thank you very much, you know. I'm glad that's what you got out of the message. Yeah, thank you for showing up. I hope you dropped your tithe in the offering plate. That's about all you're worth right now, and thank you for the encouragement. Well, Pastor, you know, during service, so-and-so, you mean you were focused on that the whole time? You didn't hear anything else I said? What type, of, what, what type of Christianity is that? You're not enjoying your freedom that you have in Christ. Let God take care of all that other stuff around. Just, just keep your eyes on Jesus. Guess what? Everybody's not going to be like you. And we're thankful for that. And you're thankful that everybody's not like me. Hey, now. (laughs) I have two deacons. I want you to come forward. We got two people right now we need to put church discipline under. Put them on the (laughs) church. It seems to come from this area here. That's right. One in the front and one towards the back, male and female. I'm not going to mention any names. Josh and Tanea, you know. I hope your mom's watching Tanea. That's all I got to say, girl. <laughs> Mrs. Tanea, get after your daughter. <laughs> but they don't enjoy their freedom they have in Christ. You say, what's sanctification, Pastor? Well, it is growing in Christ, but it's a little bit more than that. Sanctification means that you're consecrated or you're set apart for a sacred purpose. In John 10, 36, it talks to us about that. Or uh, sanctification would be, it's pure, to be pure and to holy and, and holy. So what Paul is saying here is that true freedom is found in salvation, and then true freedom, how you enjoy it, is through sanctification. And in the New Testament here, most of the time, the majority of the time in the New Testament has to do with the second definition, that idea of being holy and pure. In the New Testament. A lot of times in the Old Testament, you can find it's being set aside. The tabernacle and the different articles in the tabernacle and things like that. And so what Paul is saying, he said, look, I want to teach you how you can enjoy being holy before God. I I want to be able to teach you what it means to have freedom to be pure before God. I want you to understand that once you've received this freedom of salvation, you have no more, your sin has been forgiven. Now I want you to know how you can enjoy it. See, sanctification really for us and for what it means in the New Testament is the process of making you and me pure and holy. We could say it like this, becoming Christ-like. Becoming like Christ. See, Galatians is teaching us how to become more like Christ in the freedom that Christ gives to us. There's no other gospel. None. And Galatians teaches us about the freedom in salvation and the freedom in sanctification. This is just a quick overview of the book. We're going to get into, hopefully next week, Lord willing, where we'll see that Paul talks about his authority, and why he has the right to be able to speak to this issue right here. Friends, what I want you to remember this morning, this is what I want you to take home with you. True freedom for the, it, there is true freedom for the sinner and for the saint. But it's only found 
It's only found in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You will not find true freedom anywhere else. So stop trying. Stop trying. Come unto me, all ye that are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, Lord of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and there you shall find rest to your soul. Christian friend, just stop trying and start enjoying. Enjoy what you have in Christ. One of the best ways for you to enjoy what you have in Christ is to get your eyes off of other people and keep your eyes on him. So those other people, they're not your savior. They're going to fail you. But if you keep your eyes on the lovely one, the one that can give true freedom, you will enjoy the freedom that's found in Christ. Hey folks, thank you so much for watching today. I hope that it was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, and you accepted Him today into your life, and, and you put your faith in Him, I would like to send you free of charge two things. First, I'd like to send you this book, Done, is written by a friend of mine, What Other Religions Don't Tell You About the Bible, and then secondly, a brand new Bible, just like this one, I'd like to send to you. So please, do me a favor. First, I'd like to hear about your commitment to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Fill out the electronic connection card right below. Click the link. When you fill that out, put your address in, and I will be happy to send this book done and this brand new Bible free of charge to you. God bless you, and I'm looking forward to hearing from you. Thanks again for watching us online today. If you haven't done so already, please fill out a digital connection card so we know how to better serve you this week. For encouragement throughout your week, you can listen to past sermons by searching Open Bible Baptist Church on the Apple Podcast or Google Play Store. If you'd like to give today, you can give online at openbiblenj.org. Thanks again for joining us today. We'll see you on the next broadcast.